There is just so much about coffee that we don't know, which is what makes it such an exciting industry to work in, because there are people discovering things about how to brew coffee, how to roast coffee, all the time. And if you have the time as a barista or somebody working in the coffee industry, like there are experiments that you can do that will give you knowledge that other people just do not have. Welcome back to Drip, a DC coffee podcast. Brewing the conversation on this episode is me, Austin Brower. Before we get into the episode, I want to give a shout out to the Broke Royals. You're hearing their music in the background right now. They've been a big supporter of Drip, a DC Coffee podcast since the beginning. The DC band just released a new single, Saint Luxury. Be sure to give it a listen on Spotify. In this episode, we're joined by Tyler Phillips, owner of Alchemist Coffee Company. Tyler is passionate about quality coffee and innovative ways of brewing. Throughout the episode, we explore the genesis of the company, nuances of draft coffee, and changes in the DC coffee scene. So sit back, grab your cup of coffee, and enjoy the episode. Well, welcome back to Drip a DC Coffee podcast. We have Tyler Phillips here from Alchemist Coffee Company, and he's going to tell us today kind of about his journey and also what he sells, which is awesome coffee that we're drinking right now. So thanks for being here today, Tyler. Thank you, Austin, for inviting me. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Do you mind just starting off sharing a little bit about your coffee journey? Like when did you first have coffee and kind of what was the the journey to Alchemist Coffee Company? I've always really been drawn to coffee. My family drank it, you know, when I was a kid and I always enjoyed coffee shops, you know, when you're in high school, when you're in grade school and you want to go somewhere that's not your house to hang out, you can't go to a bar. <laughs> like, yeah. you can't, like, there's a lot of places, like, if you're under 21, they won't let you in. But, like, you can go to a coffee shop, hang out there with your friends. It's a cool environment. Sometimes you can meet people. So, I've always been drawn to the culture of coffee. And then when I was in high school, I started working in coffee shops and it was great. It's a highly stimulating environment. You get to meet a lot of people. I figured that it would be hard to actually have a career in coffee or in, in restaurants in general. Like I love food. I was working in restaurants since I was 15 years old. I took a break after I got out of college and did sales for four years, selling commercial lighting, which is not as exciting <laughs> as coffee, it turns out. Eventually, I was like, look, I just have to do what I enjoy doing and not worry about anything else. And hopefully things will work out. So I started working in restaurants again, started bartending. It's hard to make money as a barista. So you know, I was trying to work partially at like a cocktail bar, partially at a coffee shop. And I ended up working at Mockingbird Hill, which used to be a sherry bar in the evening and a coffee bar in the morning. It's now the Game of Thrones Cherry Blossom pop-up bar. Okay. It's one of yeah. those three bars. Over but in Shaw, that, right? Over in Shaw, yeah. But working there really opened my eyes to the possibilities in the coffee industry and what you could really do if you wanted. And how did it do that? Was that the person who was the director of coffee or managing the coffee program or, or what was it? The program itself was really ahead of its time. Being a consumer of coffee and like kind of being interested in coffee for my whole life, I thought that I had a decent amount of understanding as far as like, what is coffee? What's it supposed to taste like? How do you brew it? Like I thought I knew something about that. Mm. And then I started working there and I realized <laughs> I didn't know anything at all. What Mockingbird Hill did was serve between like 25 and 30 coffees by the glass from roasters all over the world. So Square Mile in London, Five Elephant in Berlin, Tim Winnell Bow in Oslo, Coffee Collective, Hart, 
We had some Canadian roasters. I mean, it wouldn't just be a couple of coffees. It would be like, okay, we're just going to buy every coffee from Square Mile and put it on the menu. Okay. Every single coffee that Two Winnipeg is doing, we're putting that on the menu. So you could go in and be like, oh, yeah, do I want to try like the Ethiopian? Do I want to try the Kenyan? Am I kind of feeling like more like a Guatemalan coffee? <laughs> like, am I feeling more like a Nordic roasting style? Do I want something from London? Like, just ridiculous. Just absolutely ridiculous. And then you would order and it would be brewed to order and served in a rocks class. So the quality control that went on behind the scenes in order to like make that work and to like keep all those coffees dialed in and be able to provide a good experience for guests was tremendous, really tremendous and kind of showed me that there's a lot going on in, in the world, in the coffee industry. And it's a really exciting place. Roasters overseas are doing things that, you know, if I just worked at Starbucks my whole life, like I would never be exposed to. Yeah. And so that really opened my eyes. Awesome. Awesome. So you kind of started out as probably a lot of us in the coffee industry do of really enjoying the consumer customer experience. And then you got onto the service side of it and worked full time and then got back into the service side because you, you were so passionate about it. Yeah. It's like, I love working in food environments. I love working with food people. Mm-hmm. I love finding new things that are really freaking delicious that I've never had before and then trying to share that experience with other people. Like, to me, I mean, that's that gives me a lot of joy. So, yeah, I mean, working in the food and the beverage industry is just a lot of fun and it's just very fulfilling. Yeah. And so you're there and then, what, all of a sudden you have this idea to create kind of this innovative draft coffee company? Do you mind sharing, you know, how you started Alchemist Coffee and why? Sure. So... I was working at Mockingbird Hill, and I would probably still be working at Mockingbird Hill, <laughs> except it became the pop-up bar. Like I said, the program was, was ahead of its time. It was a coffee shop in a punk bar. The hours were pretty weird. So for, for every reason other than the quality of the coffee, it closed. Mm-hmm. And so while I was there, even though we had this huge menu of coffees, the thing that we sold the most of was the nitro draft coffee, mm-hmm. which, you know, back in 2014... What he was really doing. I mean, Stumptown was doing it, and I think that's where the guy who ran that program got the idea. People loved it. Yeah. And coming from sales, looking at that and being like, people really like this. And then also having worked in restaurants where like coffee is a nightmare to serve in restaurants. There's so many moving parts and there are so many other priorities. Serving high quality coffee takes up so much space and so much training and so much specialized equipment that you have to keep clean and provide maintenance to on a very regular basis and just spend a lot of money on Mm -hmm. that, like, it rarely works out. Yeah. But, you know, restaurants, they got draft systems. So why not do all the really hard work at Mockingbird Hill, where we were, apply that same really intense quality control process to the kegs, and then sell those to the restaurants. And then they would be able to serve a really curated, really high-quality cup of coffee. Mm Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, we want to do it, we want to do it, we want to do it. And then they went out of business, or they, they closed down the program. And I couldn't let it go. <laughs> like, I couldn't let it go. Once I was working with those coffees, tasting them every day, getting exposed to, like, just this really, really high level of quality. And then I went to, there was another shop in D.C. that was selling to Monobo Coffee, which is the roaster from Oslo that we carry. Okay. Really, yeah. hard, really hard to find in the United States. And they had empty bags of Monobo Coffee on the shelves, but they weren't actually selling it. They just had them there on the shelves and on their website. Because, hey, it's expensive and it goes bad. And if you, you know, are not really able to brew it right or if it's not really tasting the right way, 
then you're not going to keep buying it. You know, you're going to buy another roaster. But they still had the bags on their website. So that was really frustrating. And like just going to work at other shops and seeing how Nitro Coffee was kind of making its way through the DC coffee scene and mm-hmm. seeing how other shops were doing it, I was like, we were doing this way better. <laughs> yeah. We were doing this way better at Mockingbird Hill. And uh, I think it would be valuable to do that and get it to restaurants. And so because I'd worked there a while, they were willing to sell me the equipment at a deal. And I started doing it uh, in my basement while I was bartending part-time and slowly kind of ground it out. Yeah. I guess like all the good entrepreneurs or companies really solve a problem in the market. And like you just described, a lot of the service industry restaurants want to serve good coffee, but it takes a lot of work. And you get to take a lot of that work and do it all and then give them an awesome product. Yeah. It's like most restaurants, they want to provide a really curated service and they want to serve really high quality stuff. But they don't brew their own beer. They don't make their own wine. They serve really, really amazing food. And they do all kinds of like insane things mm-hmm. in that world and in the cocktail world. But to serve good cocktails, I mean, you need all this equipment. You need a whole bar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and to serve good coffee, you need a ton of equipment. Yep. And you need a, people whose job it is is just to make good coffee. Mm-hmm. Most restaurants don't have some. Some do. You know, but most restaurants don't have the capacity for that. Yeah. Well, you guys are a good solution for that. Yeah, I would um, say so. I would say so. So tell us a little more about the coffee and the process of making the draft coffee. Because sure. we were on our, so I'd love to hear more about that. And it was also really great on our kind of call before this. You mentioned, hey, Austin, you know, I think I was using the term cold brew. And you mentioned that actually the correct term for this coffee is draft coffee, which was really helpful. And I think is a nice distinction for people, especially to recognize like this is a little different and it tastes different because of that. Do you mind sharing a little more about the sure, process? And then kind sure, of the- sure. Coffee is a coffee is a fruit and it's the pit of that mm-hmm. fruit that we ferment, roast, grind up, dissolve into water. Mm-hmm. But the particles which make up that coffee beverage, the soluble particles in that coffee bean, Mm -hmm. the pit of the coffee fruit, they don't all dissolve into the water at the same time. So the first thing that dissolves is caffeine. Caffeine is super water soluble. You never have to worry about, oh my God, did you put all the caffeine in this (laughs) cup of coffee? Can you put any more in? Like the only way to add more caffeine to that cup of coffee is to use more ground coffee to begin with. Hmm. Uh, as you continue the brewing process, you continue the extraction process, the organic acids and salts begin to dissolve. And if you've ever had a cup of coffee, like a lighter roast that was super, super acidic, it's because that extraction process or that brewing process was cut off before anything else happened. So all you have is the caffeine and the acid. So it'll get you, it'll get you buzzed, but it doesn't taste very good. Yeah. It doesn't taste very balanced. As you continue the extraction process, as you continue the brewing process, the aromatics begin to dissolve, the tannins, and then finally the sugar. There's a lot of sugar in the coffee cherry. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of sugar in the coffee bean. Uh, and if you grow, roast, and brew the coffee properly, a lot of that sugar will make it into the cup of coffee as well. And you really need it in order to have a balanced cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. If you continue the brewing process after that, if you continue the extraction process, the cellulose, the raw vegetal matter of the coffee bean begins to dissolve. Cellulose is very bitter. If you've ever had a dark roasted coffee, which tend to be more soluble, that was just enamel strippingly bitter and left this really astringent flavor in your mouth, it's because that coffee was over-brewed or over-extracted. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we get coffee from roasters all over the world, some of the best roasters in the world. We brew the coffee 
at our production space in D.C. with the best commercial coffee grinder in the market. The water that we use is very strictly controlled for pH and mineral content. And every batch of coffee that we brew, we test with a refractometer, which tells us what percentage of the coffee beans have dissolved into the coffee beverage. And so if we know that coffee A, with the grinder that we're using, tastes best when we dissolve about 22% of it into the water, Mm -hmm. that's when you get all the good stuff, all the stuff that makes the coffee taste good, the caffeine, the acidity, the sugar, the aromatics, and none of the bad stuff, then it's probably going to taste pretty good. Hmm. And so because consistency is so important for restaurants, because you always want to be serving something that tastes the same. You don't want to have somebody to come in, pay $5 or $7 or $10 for a cup of coffee, and then have it taste different than what they had last week. Because consistency is so important, that's why we test every keg in order to make sure that we're delivering a consistent product to our accounts. Mm -hmm. So we do brew the coffee hot. You get more stuff out of it that way. You get more flavor out of it that way. We flash chill it. And then we infuse it with nitrogen, which gives it a creamy, velvety texture uh, and a little bit more body. So the amount of coffee that's actually in the water, that's the the TBS or yes, yes, right? That's one hundred percent right. TDS. There we go. Not TBS. And yeah, no TDS. Total dissolved solids. It tells you how strong the coffee is. Mm -hmm. It's like okay, in this cup of coffee that I'm holding, what percentage of it is water? Mm -hmm. What percentage of it is coffee? dissolved coffee solids yeah it's one of those two things so a regular cup of coffee is going to have about 98.7 percent water Mm. and 1.3 percent dissolved coffee solids and that'll be like a normal strength cup of coffee gotcha if you have an espresso it'll be like 90 percent water and 10 percent dissolved coffee solids so it's going to be a lot stronger yeah yeah. Uh, all of the kegs that we ship are 1.45% dissolved solids. So they are as strong as like a reasonably strong cup of coffee, which is between like 1.3 to 1.5, mm-hmm. but not like so strong that it's going to send you to the moon off yeah. of like one sip or something like that. Yeah. And then the flash chill. Mm-hmm. What is that like? I imagine just a flash, then all of a sudden the coffee's uh, cold, but I imagine that's not the case. So getting the coffee cold is a challenge. And it's something that I'm going to be a little bit squirrely about because, like, okay. that's one of those things that uh, I don't want to go into too much detail Fair. about. Yeah. At least not at this time. Yes. <laughs> but we get it cold as quickly as we can. Nice. So you flash chill it and then you pump nitrogen through it. And you pump nitrogen through it and put it in kegs to be served elsewhere, right? Right. That's we, we basically, we pump it into kegs which have no oxygen in them that are pre-filled with nitrogen. Mm-hmm. So... The kegs are filled in line. That's the cleanest way to do it. Yeah. If you expose the coffee to a large surface area of nitrogen at a certain pressure and then get it into the kegs, it will come out of a stout tap textured like a Guinness. Gotcha. And we're drinking some here in the podcast space. Do you mind just kind of – because they're they're awesome. To be honest, I've never been a huge draft coffee drinker. But these ones definitely, as we kind of went through them and you described them – it almost is like doing a pour over where maybe that's not how you want to describe it, but where the no, that is, that's a high compliment. That's exactly what we're going for. Yeah. I mean, it's to take that like artisanal kind of experience mm-hmm. and make it really easy to serve. No, that's, that, it seems that's like literally what we're trying to do. Well, you've done it cause it's been fun. Each of the ones we tried were just, it tasted like I was doing a, a pour over and could just experience everything. They were all different. You could tell they were roasted differently and texture was 
was awesome on them. So, yeah, if you don't mind, let's just run through what you have here. Sure. And um, maybe describe a little bit of it for the audience so that they can know kind of what it would be like to have your coffee. And then we can tell them where to get your coffee as well. Sure. The first one is Hologram. It is a blend. It's the only blend we carry. It's roasted by Counterculture in Durham, North Carolina. So a mid-Atlantic roaster. It's a blend of 50% washed Colombian coffee, 40% naturally processed Ethiopian coffee, and 10% washed Kenyan coffee. I like it because it is approachable, and it, it has like that kind of milk chocolatey flavor mm-hmm. that people expect from a nitro coffee, quote-unquote. But it also has a really wonderful, rounded, fruity, almost plum or blueberry sweetness to it and it is it really is syrupy sweet on the finish a uh, really nice long lingering finish yeah. uh, which is awesome and so it's like approachable but it also kind of makes people go wait is this coffee <laughs> like there's something is there something do you add anything to this like and that's a lot of fun the next one is a single origin it's roasted by heart out in portland oregon it's called rosma it's a guatemalan coffee it's really nice it's very well balanced it has a bit of a cherry-like acidity, some kind of like almondy, toasted mm-hmm. almond flavor, and again, a really nice sweet finish. Uh, Heart is really, really good about consistency, yeah. and this is a great example of like a, a really great Central American coffee in the sense that like it's not going to like blow you away with a ton of acidity necessarily, but it does have a lot of character to it. And then the last one is roasted by Tim Wendelbow in Oslo, Norway. It is a Ethiopian coffee called Gedeb. It's very exciting for me whenever I get an Ethiopian coffee from that roaster because he only carries very few, and they're normally all really exceptional. Yeah. Uh, this one has, like, this really wonderful apricot or peach flavor to it. It has a really nice long finish. It's very easy to extract. It has a wonderful floral aroma. And if people want something that is going to make them sit up and go, whoa, like, this is really interesting, I think this hits the mark. Yeah. That's one I think we all kind of chose to, to <laughs> sip throughout this podcast. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit as well about the partnerships you have with these roasters? Because it sounds like since the beginning, you've really sourced from these roasters because of their quality. And yeah, do you mind just sharing a little more about the partnerships? Sure. Maybe they're slightly different with each. And sure. really intrigued to hear if they are slightly different than, say, if you were a, a cafe that has rotating roasts um, roasted on it. When I was working at Mockingbird Hill, I was also working at another restaurant. I was buying coffee for them from a couple of DC roasters. But I was just blown away at Mockingbird Hill how we would order like the whole line of coffee from like a really well-known roaster. We would get it and half of it would be flawed. It would hmm. be underdeveloped. And it happened a lot. Yeah. Because we would be rotating roasters and we'd get a bunch of samples in and be like, half of this we can't even serve. If I'm going to be spending a ton of time making sure that the coffee that I'm brewing into the kegs is really consistent, and if I want to deliver a consistent product, then the roast has to be consistent. And how these companies, how these roasting companies are sourcing their green coffee has to be very, very meticulous and very, very careful. Mm -hmm. And Hart and Tumonobo are both incredibly consistent we just started working with counterculture. I'm, <laughs> I, I have very high hopes. Uh, this is like the third batch of hologram we've gotten. They've all been they've all been great. And then Ceremony is the other company I worked with, or I continue to work with. And back in 2015, when I was first starting out, 
as far as like local roasters that were being super, super serious about their coffee and about consistency, it seemed to me at the time that ceremony was really the only option. Mm. And I've gotten a ton of really, really great coffee from them. And I'm really happy that they agreed to work with me because it took some convincing. Yeah. <laughs> because especially, you know, in 2015, when most people hadn't even heard of this, it's like, you're going to take our coffee and you're going to do what? Right. Because like, ceremony is picky about who they work with. Heart is picky about who they work with. And Timonobo is so expensive that, like, I don't think they need to be picky. Because, <laughs> like, there aren't a lot of people lining up. Picky. Lining yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of it, it solves itself. The reason I work with these roasters is because they're really, really consistent in yeah. terms of roasting, roasting consistently and being very aware of problems that the coffee does have and being able to take care of me very quickly. Like yeah. we, we speak the same language. So you mentioned that ceremony was hard to convince. What's that kind of pitch process like for trying to gain a partner? Do you mind sharing a little bit of that? Maybe that's Sure. No, it's fine. Well. I mean, I was like, look, I want to... <sighs> I want to buy your coffee and brew it into kegs. I'm going to be really careful with it. Uh, I'm going to put your name on the label, make sure that people know where it's coming from. I mean, all the kegs that we sell have the name of the roaster, where the coffee was grown, what Mm -hmm. the varietal of the coffee is, the TDS, the extraction, the best buy date. It has a lot of like an absurd amount of information on it. So I'm trying to be very transparent about where the coffee is coming from. I'm not like saying, oh, this is Alchemist coffee, you know, and I think if I were doing that, none of these roasters would be interested in selling to me. Yeah. So it's just more about presenting their coffee the way that they would like me to present it and treating it the right way. Like if I was just getting their coffee, throwing it into a keg, eh, that would be, you know, I don't think they would sell to me. I don't think, and and if I tried to just have it be my brand, they wouldn't sell to me either. So it's like, if you want to work with really good coffee, you know, you kind of do have to be transparent, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, but I want to be anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> it's nice to see that on your website, too. You can tell that it's important to you, and that probably carries through, as you mentioned, to the, the people you work with and the partnerships. And it's also really fun that you have an international roaster. I don't, I guess a lot of people roast locally, and then other people source from roasters nationally. I haven't been to a lot of places that I, I guess I realize where I've gotten international roasted coffee. And so that's kind of fun for your the coffees that you do provide to have that. Yeah, I mean, Scandinavia has the highest consumption of coffee per capita in the world. And the roasters there are doing things differently than what is available locally. Mm -hmm. I know that local products are generally considered better, but that's not always the case, especially with coffee where, I mean, people worry about freshness. I get the coffee one to two days off roast, and it doesn't really taste its best until nine days off roast. Yeah, Like the peak... For the Wendelbo coffee is between 9 and 14 days off roast hmm. is when it starts to taste really good. And then it lasts a long time because it's shipped in nitrogen flushed bags. You know, if I want to be serving coffee that is really exceptional and that gives people a unique curated experience, I have to work with an international yeah. roaster. I'd like to work with more, but every roaster we add makes things quite a bit more complicated. Slightly more complex, right? Yeah. Where can people get your coffee? We have about 40 wholesale accounts in the area. You can go on our website and there's like a map with different places around that carry our coffee. It's mostly restaurants, cafes. Uh, There are a couple offices. They're not on the map. (laughs) But uh, you can also come to our retail space in Northeast DC, which is about five blocks south of Catholic University. Okay. That's in Brookland. It's called Tastemakers. We're open six days a week, Tuesday through Sunday. Nice. So kind of more of a cafe experience there, specifically with Alchemist Coffee. It's a gourmet food hall. Mm -hmm. 
And so we have a booth there. We're serving three coffees and then three other draft beverages. We have a nitro chai, a nitro hibiscus tea. We have a kombucha. And then we also serve a variety of hot beverages yeah. as well. Did you say nitro kombucha? We have messed around with nitro kombucha, but the kombucha that we are currently serving is just carbonated. Okay. But actually, so we tried making kombucha out of just coffee. So it's just a pure, take the SCOBY, which is bacteria and yeast, and you just put it into coffee with sugar and use the coffee as the base instead of tea. Mm -hmm. And it was delicious. Really? Absolutely delicious. Yeah. And we put that on a Guinness gas system instead of just pure nitrogen. So it had both CO2 and nitrogen in it. And because, you know, it's a little bit sweeter, because it's a little bit more vinegar, it's very resistant to oxidizing. And it tasted great. It's hard to reproduce. We're still messing around with that. But like, it's pretty sweet. It tastes like fruit punch. It's like out of this world. Huh. I bet people would go ballistic for that. Everybody loves kombucha now. Yeah, we only had a very small amount and I drank like half the keg. <laughs> so so uh, so we're trying to we're 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 doing some experiments to try to reproduce that, but we're not quite there yet. Cool. We'll keep it on the DL just for listeners so far. So the DC coffee scene, you've been in the restaurant and kind of coffee scene for a little bit now. I'd say maybe more than a little bit. Off and on. It's changed a lot, specifically the coffee scene. So where do you see it going? You can't take a step without tripping over a new coffee shop in DC. It is wild how many are opening. Yeah. Where do you see the DC coffee scene going? And then also where do you see kind of the draft coffee market going as well? I don't know. There are so many new coffee shops in DC. I don't really know where it's going, to be honest. We'll see. I'm a little skeptical that the DC market can support as many coffee shops as are opening. But, I mean, who knows? Yeah. As far as, like, draft coffee, ever since I started doing this, I knew that in order to provide restaurants with, like, a full-service coffee solution, I would have to be able to do it hot. And as of two months ago, we are now able to do that. So, like, hot out of the cakes, basically? Yes. Really? So, we have, we've been working with a company out of Chicago for the past two years to kind of get a device that will very gently, very carefully, but very quickly heat the coffee up as it's served. Really? And we've been serving hot nitro coffee out of our retail space for the past uh, about three months and getting a bunch more machines in in the next, (laughs) hopefully in the next week. (laughs) They were supposed to be here in January, but this is like the story with uh, commercial beverage machine production, I guess. But they're coming in soon. They're going out to my wholesale accounts soon. And uh, and then we will be able to serve really delicious coffee, hot and cold, That's out wild. of a tap. That's and pretty wild, isn't it? It is wild. What's really wild to me is that the coffees taste even better hot than they do cold. Huh. And it's consistent. Yeah. You know, every one you serve is going to be exactly like the last one. Which is incredible because you brew them hot, you get them cold, and then you yeah. bring them back hot. Yeah, again. yeah. If you take the nitro coffee, you stick it in a microwave, it's going to taste terrible oh yeah I can't. but that, the way that this machine works is very very gentle and it works great like <laughs> i was very nervous about the whole thing and i knew that like until i actually had one and was serving it and was testing it out for like months at a time would i ever be able to like actually do yeah. anything with it but we have it it works great i'm very excited about it i cannot wait to get more of them in that's awesome i gotta make it up to tastemakers and try that you should it's neat yeah oh wow is anybody else doing that i have not heard of that we I believe are the first people on the East Coast to do it. There was a company on the West Coast that was doing it. I don't think they're doing it anymore. And then I believe there's a company in New York 
that has started doing it. Mm. But like, I live in a very small world, so I don't really know for sure what other people are doing around the country, to yeah. be honest. But as far as I know, we're one of the first, if not the first, certainly on the East Coast. Oh, that's awesome. It's fun to see kind of the coffee scene continue to grow and, and pull new innovations. It is. Like it is. You have this niche product that is consistent and now is hot and cold and is all over D.C. is, I just think, really exciting. And your kind of entrepreneurial journey and story and the dedication and time you put into your coffee, is it really shows, especially tasting and just talking with you. So thanks for sharing all that. Yeah, thank um, you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Less coffee-oriented questions sure. these last two. But in regards to D.C., if you have a friend in town who hasn't been here before, where would you take them to eat? It would depend on the friend. I had someone from Portland, Oregon visit a while ago, mm -hmm. and I took them to this really nice restaurant. They were like, we got this in Portland. I'm like, sorry. I'm like, There's places like this all over Portland. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, dang. I live pretty close to Timber. Uh -huh. I think they're amazing. Oh, Timber like, Pizza. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing an incredible job. We have a couple of really nice uh, Chinese restaurants. Mm -hmm. Huge fan of Sichuan Pavilion in uh, the Golden Triangle for Mapo Tofu. And there's a lot of places in, in Northern Virginia, I feel like, that are doing really great, great ethnic food. Yeah. I mean, that's the nice thing about D.C. these days is, like, there is, you're, we're really spoiled for choice. Mm -hmm. And coffee choice. Yes. But yes. choose Alchemist Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of Alchemist, how'd you come up with the name Alchemist? You know, working in the, in the coffee industry, starting when I, was, when I was in high school and then kind of moving forward, it just seems like there's a lot of stuff that people tell you that does not actually bear out in terms of when you're actually brewing coffee. Hmm. Like an example that I remember is like the crema and espresso and how like important everybody thought that used to be. And then it turns out it has nothing at all to do with like whether or not the coffee is going to taste good or not. And like I've heard people say, oh, you have to pour a pour over like exactly like counterclockwise X amount of times. And like you have to like, there's all these things, mm -hmm. you know, that are kind of floating around that you hear. And there is just so much about coffee that we don't know, which is what makes it such an exciting industry to work in. Yeah. Because there are people discovering things about how to brew coffee, how to roast coffee all the time. And if you have the time as a barista or as somebody working in the coffee industry, like there are experiments that you can do that will give you knowledge that other people just do not have. And so it kind of feels a little bit like the whole coffee industry are like alchemists where yeah. it's like, we're trying to get to that philosopher's stone where all the coffee tastes freaking amazing all the time. And everybody's trying their own way to kind of get there. And everybody's trying all these like really goofy things sometimes. I mean, like the World Brewers Cup champion is nitro. He's like freezing his coffee in liquid nitrogen before grinding it. And it turns out that that actually makes a much more even particle distribution when you grind. Hmm. So it's like, who knows? <laughs> like, who knows what, what, what is actually going to work or not? You know, it's kind of the combination of just the romance and the magic yeah. and, the, and the yearning towards like the possibility, but also taking like a more scientific and a more analytical approach to trying to get there as well. And I feel like alchemists, that's, that's what they were doing, trying yeah. to figure out how the world worked. And that just without having any idea, you know, <laughs> without yeah. having any idea where they were going. Yeah. Wow. That just made me want to buy all your coffee. So I'm in. Great. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. So really two more questions for you. So if people want to contact you and have Alchemist coffee in their restaurants, what should they do? Should they email you? Should they go online? Yes. Any of those things. Cool. AlchemistCoffeeCompany.com. Nice. Tyler at AlchemistCoffeeCompany.com. 
There you go. Set up a tasting. It'll be great. Or don't set up a tasting. Just buy it. <laughs> it's good. And then last, I, I've started to ask this question to people that I interview. What can DC Drips listeners do for Alchemist Coffee? Well, we also sell to offices. So, you know, if you know of an office or work in an office that desperately, desperately needs some tasty nitro coffee, shoot me an email. Same email. Same, uh, same email. Same yep. website. Yep. yep. If you're the president of a company, this will increase the productivity of your employees. It's true. It's true. So, It'll make them very happy. Yeah. You know, or just stop at a retail space and say hi. That's cool, too. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Tyler, thanks so much for talking with us today. Is there anything that we missed or that you'd like to, to share with the audience? I don't think so. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the exposure, the opportunity. Yeah, of course. It's really cool what you're doing here. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, really fun to have you. A good conversation. Excited to, to share this. Thanks to 202 Creates and Tyrone, who makes all the engineering happen on his side. I really appreciate it. But um, check out Alchemist Coffee, either in their brick-and-mortar locations or online or at different restaurants. So see you soon. Sounds good. And that's a wrap, folks. Keep up to date with The Alchemist Coffee Company on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or on their website. Find other episodes of Drip, a DC Coffee podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast, and be sure to give us a rating or comment to help others find the stories of our coffee community. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. DC Drip would not be possible without Mike Crockett, the engineer, the Broke Royals for music, Rebecca Silverstein for graphic and web design, and Wesley Stukenbroker for creative support. Lastly, big thanks to 202 Creates. Thanks again for listening and keep brewing community.